Welcome to Anna Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Anna, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Lin Let Aka, videographer and photographer from Myanmar. Lin Let Aka crossed the border from Thailand to Myanmar in search of his brothers when a two-day internet blackout left him fearing the worst. What he witnessed along his journey made him determined to document what was happening for the world to see, but the more he saw, the more compelled he felt to act. Before long, he and his brothers were on the front lines and life quickly took a more dangerous turn. Here he talks about his journey from the border to the front lines of the protest, to a life on the run and in hiding. He discusses his fears that he may one day be forced to swap his camera for a gun, and his worry that any day could be his last. Let's start the conversation. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> How are you? Good, good. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I was just trying to think how to say your name. Lin Liet, is it Aka? Aka or Akar? Yeah, you can call me Aka. Yeah, Aka, Aka. Yeah. Lin Liet Aka. I wasn't sure how to, to say it. Hi, I'm Ruth. Nice to meet you. Sorry for yesterday. Um, the internet was out and I tried, but it wasn't working. No yeah. worries. Don't, don't apologize, my goodness. Like We don't <laughs> expect uh, things to be smooth. Yeah. But... Your connection seems okay for now. We were worried it might not be stable, but yeah, it's, it seems okay. I think, yeah, it's okay for now, but I, who knows? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I go out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, what we thought we'd do is maybe just like start with you just telling us a bit about yourself, I mean, your background, your story, up until, I guess, before the coup, just to we get a sense of who you are and, and what your life so, was like before. Yeah, um, I'm a freelance photographer and filmmaker. I was living in Thailand, Mesut, which is near the border. And yeah, I was just doing freelance stuff, mostly working for organizations um, who were helping the migrant schools. So they usually like distribute food, salaries for teachers, and I would make videos and photos to get more funding for them. So how long were you in Thailand? When did you move there? I've been here for about six, seven years already. I was with my family and then they moved back to Myanmar for two years and then I decided I wanted to come back. So that was around 2016 and I left and came back alone. Okay, so when the the coup broke out, you were based yeah. in Thailand and I guess you had yeah. a decision to make about what you were going to do at that point. Yeah, so because of COVID, even before the coup, the border were like closed and we couldn't travel anymore. So... That's been like that since 2020, like the start of it. So I actually haven't been back to Myanmar for like a year and a half when the coup happened. And I wanted to go back, but then at the same time, I didn't really want to lose what I had because I had kind of a job and I had like a little house with my family, like my girlfriend and my dog. So if I go back, that means I couldn't come back to Thailand. So it was, yeah, it was a hard decision. But yeah, I actually left quite early on the 8th of February. There was two days of no internet. I was talking to my family who's in Myanmar and my cousins and, you know, my friends. And in that two day, there was nothing. Like it was, it was just silence. Like, you know, you keep going on your phone and you refresh. And I think, yeah, at that time, I think it was worse to be here than inside Myanmar because 
nothing was happening there, but here we didn't know anything. So it was, we were just in our imagination and, you know, we, we imagined the worst thing. And yeah. So after that two days, I decided I'll go back. Was that the moment, those two days of silence and no contact where you thought, I, I can't, I can't not have this yeah. contact. I need to go in and, and see what's happening. Yeah. It was really scary, actually. Yeah. Because um, I was walking into a situation where I had no idea what was happening. I actually got arrested by Thai soldiers when I was attempting to cross the border illegally. There's a river. It's not too big. It's probably like 10 feet, 20 feet with the length. And so me and my friend were trying to jump into there and cross. Usually, if you were doing that the opposite way from Myanmar to Thailand, you would get shot. So we were thinking, but well, we're just going back to Myanmar. So they're not going to do anything, hopefully. And that was our plan. <laughs> so yeah, my friend jumped in. He escaped. I was about to jump and then a soldier pulled me and take me to their station. I was there about 30 minutes and they finally let me go because I was trying to leave. It wasn't trying to come in. So that was fine. I, yeah, I crossed and yeah, then I got to reality. So talk to us then about when you got there, because I know you stayed in different places initially yeah. and you, you joined the protest pretty quickly. Actually, yeah, the next day I arrived. So we arrived around like 5, 6 p.m. in the evening in Miawadi. And then my phone was stolen that, that day, like right when we uh, got there. And my plan was actually to go all the way to Yangon, not to be in Miawadi, which is a border town. Yeah, so I wanted to go all the way to Yangon, but someone stole my phone and everything I planned was in there, you know, like all the contact, all the phone numbers, everything. So I had to cancel going to Yangon and I had a friend in Yaudi, so I went to his house the next day and we did the protest together. That's when I started uh, taking photos. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do, like when I first went back, like I just wanted to be inside, like I didn't. I didn't have any idea or anything. Like, I've never been to protests either. Like, this was the first time. But the first day I joined the protest, there were 300,000 people. So it was almost like a whole city coming out together. I mean, those are the people on the streets. But everywhere you go, like, people coming out of their house, like, water, you know, everything. Yeah, everyone was, like, kind of stepping up. And, you know, usually it's a... I think our people are very much kind of messy. Like they, you know, wherever they go, like they would throw trash everywhere. They would chew beetle nuts and they would just spit it out and everywhere. Whereas those protests, it was, it was so different. Like it was almost like people change, you know, like for that. So every like 20 people after that, there'll be a bunch of people who are picking up trash, not just the trash that these protesters are throwing, but just things on the ground. So it's crazy, like after this big crowd goes, like the whole road's clear, like, and it's, yeah, it was nice. You know, when you say that, that's one of the things, because I live just off Insane Road. So obviously that was a huge protest area. And that was the one thing that we noticed was people picking up rubbish, like all of these young students is cleaning up and then people handing water, food. There was just such kindness and such, just not what you expect at a protest. It was so civilized and so dignified. Yeah, especially for our people, like, you know, it's very hard to like convince people and they don't really want to follow anyone. Whereas, yeah, right then, I think it changed my mind and that I wanted to be a part of it. 
because I was going there as an outsider, like, you know, I tried to explain, like, I just wanted to kind of experience it, but not really be a part of it. Whereas when I got there and I was doing all these things, it, the situation changed so quickly from that to just in a few days, most of the protest leaders were arrested. People were poisoned in the water. So no one dares to drink the water that people were hanging out. And yeah, from that to, yeah, in a few days, it, everything changed. So there's six of you together in total, your brothers. I mean, yeah. two of them are actually your brothers. Three of them? Yeah. Three, two? Two okay. of them, yeah. Two of them are two actually your brothers and two are your two cousins, are cu- cousins okay. but they're also yeah. brothers. Yeah. So you, yeah. you are they're like a family. Cool. And then you have yeah. one friend who's like a friend of yours yeah. as well. So, you- so in reality, the whole time I was actually alone. It was very difficult. It was very, uh, very scary. I was the only one flying the drone in the, the whole town. Like, I don't know why, like there was no one else like doing that. I see a bunch of people with cameras, but so it was, it was crazy. Like everywhere I go, people were asking me to take photos of them. And for the first few days, I mean, later on, they don't want their photo taken, but before, yeah. And then whenever I fly in a drone, like they get so excited and then, you know, they wave their signs. But later days, it was scary because police were actually like undercover in the crowd and they were attacking my drones. I actually got attacked like three times, but I, got one of them in the video <laughs> of like someone hitting that with a bamboo and it falling down but yeah the people were nice like so whenever it falls they would just pick it up and put it somewhere safe so that i could get it back again so, and then i decided to go to yangon okay. after that yeah <clears throat> that's when i meet my brothers so you met your way all the way down to yangon not that time yeah i had to come back i ran out of money two of my friends that i made in that protests were arrested so they were actually the protest leaders they were the people who were doing these big protests and when i told them that i'm taking photos i'm you know doing all these and they asked me like a few questions to kind of make sure that i wasn't on the other side and then once they know that i was on their side they actually like took me in and they gave me a number because we didn't like know each other names it was just numbers like one two three I was number 10 because I was the last one and it was a nice little group and they would organize these protests, but they never like hold the microphone. So for like police or outsiders, it looks like these are just normal protesters and not leaders. But yeah, after a few days, they start like tracking us. They had a photo of me. They had a photo of a bunch of other friends and two of them were arrested on February 13, I think, and they still haven't been out. No, not the 13th, the 23rd, I think, yeah. So they've been inside for a long time. And then they were, like, coming after us, so we had to... I actually came back to Thailand through a connection that my friend had, but it was a one-time thing. So everyone was saying, you know, don't do it again. Like, don't go back. You did it already, you know. And then, I don't know, I just felt like... At that time, I just felt like it wasn't done. Like, you know, like, it wasn't enough yet, so... I plan to go back again and, and it, being with those people gave me an idea that it would be better to be with people you can trust and people you can work with instead of being alone. And that's when I decided to reach out to my brothers and, you know, they were doing their own thing already, like in their place, but it was never like media or anything. They were just protesters. But yeah, I told them, you know, I wanted to come back and um, start filming what's going on around. And not necessarily us, like 
it was unplanned. Like this whole thing, like the boys in Myanmar, the boys in Yangon, we didn't even plan for it. It was just one day, like I felt like doing it, and then yeah, we got big. So you had to cross the border a second time then to get back in. Yeah, yeah, second time, <laughs> and then yeah, it, that was smoother actually because at that time, a lot of people were trying to go back, so the government kind of did like a event for these people who want to come back. So they opened up the bridge for people who were coming back in, but not to go out, just coming back into Myanmar. And then they had these big trucks. I think it was organized by the military somehow. I don't know. But took like 20 hours, 25 hours to get to Yangon from there. But we finally got there and then meet up with my friends and my brothers and we left the place where we rented. We didn't have a house there. Also, like our parents were very against what we were doing so I rented our own like little place in Leiden yeah and like obviously I've seen a lot of your pictures and we've seen the the parts of your documentary that you've already completed so you were on the front line then from in Yangon like we can see you with um, shields yeah. we can see you in gas masks you're right there at the, at, the, at the very front of it all we never planned for it actually and we we kept saying to each other, because obviously these are my brothers, you know, I don't want to see them get hurt or anything like that. So I said, you know, we always stay in the middle. We don't, we always stay in the middle and we film what's going on. And like the boys follow that. They, they actually like listen to me and they stay there. Whereas for me, I think, yeah, like every time I hear like a gunshot, like I'm, all, I'm right there, you know? So we started like going to the front more and more. And at some point we, totally become like the frontliner because we weren't going going to the middle at all or the back we were always at the front you know taking photos filming those other people who were, who were also on the front line we went there as a like a media people like a group you know we wanted to take photos videos but not really we didn't really want to like pick up weapons or or shields or anything like that you know we just wanted to be at the front like filming what other frontliners are doing at that time, we didn't even like really consider ourselves as frontliners. But later on, when there's like not a lot of people left, like, okay, you have to pick up a shield, just do it. You know, we weren't saying no to those things. We just kind of did whatever we had to do. The, the more the, the military started to crack down and when we started to see them shooting and killing innocent people, did that make you more determined? Was that how you ended up more involved? The more you saw the injustice, did, did that have an impact? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it really fucks you up because uh, you're scared. You're scared all the time. You're scared, scared constantly. And especially at the front, like all of us had this similar feeling because there were so many photos and videos of people being shot in the head and it was everywhere, you know, it was happening everywhere. So we thought it would happen to us. Like whenever you ask people on the front line, like, how, how are you feeling? And they would say, oh, my head is really itchy because... That was the feeling. And every time you keep looking around and you like, you keep scratching your back because you feel like anytime the bullet was going to come and hit the back of your head, you know? But yeah. And then seeing them killing all these people, like it was insane. Like, I mean, I, I'm still, you know, we still can't get over it, but I think more and more, like we just got to kind of push all these feelings and kind of just do what we had to do. Uh, but yeah, we, we never had time to like kind of deal with it, any of that, you know? It, it still feels like a nightmare. Like, it doesn't feel real, yeah. Might be a good time to just mention your age. Like, you've just turned 21. 
Yeah. So I was 20 when we were in there, yeah. And your brothers are younger again. Yeah, so I'm the oldest one in the group. The youngest one is 15, and the other one's 16, and then two 18 years old, and then another 20 years old who's under me, my cousin, yeah. It's crazy when you think about it, like just what age you are and what, yeah. what you're doing. So you were in, like, obviously Yangon, you were on the front line, and I guess you had to move around a lot. You were doing night watch as well. I believe a lot of young people were, were yeah. doing night watch. Tell us about night watch and what that is. It's actually quite fun. So some streets does it. Some streets don't. So some of the neighborhood actually have a lot of, you know, men and, you know, adults who are willing to go out and do all these stuff. But some don't have anyone. It just, old, you know, old people or, you know, like women and just younger children. So they, they can't do any of that. Like they can't go out at nighttime and kind of look around. So that's what we did with our streets. Like there was no one except six of us. So at night, we would just kind of go around and check, you know, if there's anything suspicious. But the thing is, though, like, we can't do anything. Like, even if we saw a military, you know, soldiers, like, killing some people in front of us, like, there's nothing that we could do. We could only run back and tell people they're coming. That, that was the only thing that we could do. Like, we can attack them. We can, you know, whereas some streets actually have a big crowd, like 20, 30 people and it's fun. Like they would all be like drinking and they're quite drunk, like usually. But yeah, they just drink and they're playing cards and it was nice. You feel safe when people are doing that. Like, I mean, we move around street to street at nighttime too. And, you know, whenever you see these people, because we're wearing, I guess, masks and all these stuff, they know you're from their side, you know, so they let you in and they take care of you. If you say, oh, I want to go from this street to another street. But there are trucks in the middle or stuff like that. They will take you actually the whole way and they will open the gate and they introduce you with the other people so that you could keep going. Yeah. And so it came to a point then where it was no longer safe for you guys in Yangon. Or was it just that you decided that you wanted to join the resistance or, or how did you end up where you are now? So there was one day. So Ledon was in a really bad situation right before we arrived there. But then when we got there, I think it was less intense there. So we liked it. You know, it, it was nice because I, I wanted to be peaceful. Like I, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't, I didn't want to do anything violent. Like, and that's what I told everyone to like, you know, who's the same group with us. Like I told my brothers, like, you know, we have to be peaceful. We can't, we can't do any violent. We can't because we don't want to be seen as, you know, violent people, violent protesters. And all of us were actually really good. Like, none of them, like, I mean, you see protests in like Hong Kong or US, you know, like, and looting is a part of it and like, you know, burning stuff. But we never did any of that. It was always peaceful and like everyone helped out each other. But yeah, at some point we said, you know, let's go somewhere else, a different place. Cause we go to the same protest area. But then we said that day, we said, let's try a new place because you know, we keep taking photos and video of the same place every day. So that's we wanted to do a little bit of change. And so we went to a different part of town. It's called Line, probably like an hour away from where we were. And when we got there, we didn't have any time to like introduce it with anyone or anything. We got there, the military started shooting uh, the protesters. And we were stuck in between that. And yeah, that was probably like three hours long battle in the city. 
where everyone's throwing, you know, the cocktail things that at the military. That was the first time we saw violent back from the people. And I understood that. I think if I wasn't there that day and someone told me that, you know, people were doing this, I would probably say, you know, we shouldn't do that. Blah, blah, blah. But I was there and I saw what kind of situation they were in. They had no other choice. You know, the military informers. Mm-hmm. So the neighborhood got arrested two of them. So that the military was trying to come in. And I guess, you know, you never know. You never know why they come in or what they want to do. They just come in and shoot everyone. So yeah, everyone just try to protect themselves and their neighborhood. And so this neighborhood was actually really good. Like if that was our neighborhood, we would have been gone. Like we would have been dead. But for them, they had all these people like with cocktails, they were prepared. They, they had knives, they have slingshots, but nothing else. Like not like guns or anything, you know, just things that you could hurt someone, but not really kill them, you know, like just to, I think, scare them off. And they had these big gates. So they closed the gates and we go on this side, the military was on the other side and just, yeah, shooting each other. And we were at the very front of that. I think two chair guests fall right beside us. I didn't know. I didn't know. It was like, we had to get away from that. And I had the mask, so I just ran to it to record it. I actually have all that film and they'll be in the documentary. Most of them are film actually, most of the time. But there are some times where you just can't film, like you just want to, you don't want to die, so you're like focusing on, <laughs> yeah. Especially like with your brothers too, like not just for yourself, you know, you have to look out for them and yeah. So sometimes some of them like we didn't, we didn't, we couldn't film, yeah. You did mention previously to me that you guys had to have a conversation about who was going to take the bodies if one of you were shot. Like, tell us about trying to have that conversation with your brother. Yeah, I mean, they, they're quite tough. They're, they're not just like normal kids. We had a really tough childhood. Like our dad was very abusive. And so most of the stuff we're seeing doesn't really surprise us. Whereas, you know, the military, what the military is doing to people. Yeah, it's really shocking, but we've seen a lot of terrible stuff. Like we were in the refugee camps in Thailand when we were kids too. And because we were like different ethnic city, I guess the other people would be super racist towards us and, you know, even teachers and, you know, uh, and so, so yeah, a lot of dark stuff we're fine with talking with each other, you know, all of us have like humor with, you know, different, like difficult situations. And but yeah, at first it was more like, you know, you guys have to follow my orders. We're not just walking around like a bunch of friends or a bunch of kids. We have to be organized. We all have to have our roles and you know what we do and that's what i did the first night we met we made plans and we said okay you are going to be a lookout so whenever we get to a protest you and you find every exit that we can go to and know where we where it can lead to and so two of them would do that and then one of them would check the news and because uh whenever the military is moving around people update uh people posting on facebook social media so one of them would be always checking like oh are they ever going to come to us or you know are they going somewhere else me and the other brothers we focus on filming and taking photos so two of us totally focus on that so the the idea is that when something happens the other two would just grab us and take us to you know a street that they know that can lead to a different part and so that was our plan at first and it was, it was great. It worked great. And then more and more we see, you know, 
more fucked up stuff. Like, and then we're seeing, oh, like his brother just got killed or like, you know, all these things. And we say, okay, we, we need to make a plan because we keep seeing all these people like trying to pick up bodies, but then they're not organized. And, you know, so whenever you go and get the bodies, you also get shot. So, okay, let's say one of my brothers was shot. I didn't want all of us to go and get the body because that will be more targets, you know? So the plan was whoever is the oldest one, go to that body and get it. And, you know, we actually tried to like carry each other and yeah. So that, you know, just to make sure that we can carry each other. But yeah, there were some, yeah, stuff that we had to plan, we had to talk about, but we're really fucked up. But I think we, we always try to make it kind of fun, even though things are really fucked up. You know, you just try to make it like a joke. That's the only way you can kind of keep going at those situations. Yeah. That's, that's survival. It's your survival instincts. Yes. Yeah. 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 Finding is. ways to it cope. Is. So then you left the city. Why? I mean, obviously things got dangerous. But yeah. So, so when we, when we went to Klein, we actually made friends with some people from there, from the front line. And then the next day, when we got back, the, ne- the next morning, when we were back in our own part of town, me and my brothers, actually, we were going to take a break that day. We said, you know, no protest. We're just going to go to the market. I went out and I see like 20 people with gas and like gas masks and everything. And these guys are from the place where we went yesterday. And I said, yo, guys, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're trying to burn a police station. And we did that last night with one of the police stations we had around our town. And so when they came up, I said, okay, like, we'll help you guys out. Because they were wearing all these things, like it was very obvious that they are trying to do something. Whereas we, me and my brother, we just woke up and we just like no more clothes. And so we went to the police station first and check everything's okay. And then we coordinate with them, like, cause they were coming really obvious. They were all of them in the same spot. And I say, you know, you guys have to split. So, and it was crazy because I think because we were there together yesterday, they just trust me right away, you know, they, they knew that we weren't going to hurt them or like mess them up or anything like that. Because that in that time, it was really hard to find someone you can trust. Like you couldn't trust anyone, you know, because you don't know these people. We've never met each other, you know, in our lives or anything like that. But yeah, they trusted us. So we did that. We burned that police station. But it wasn't like a, we weren't trying to kill anyone inside or anything like that, you know. We didn't have that power either. It was more like we probably had like, six cocktail bottles where, you know, we throw it to the police station. Like three of them are on this road because people don't know how to throw it. And then the other three catch on fire. But then, you know, if you have a bucket of water, you can just throw it and it's gone. Um, it was more like, please stop hurting us, you know, like, please. And most of them are feeling that way. They said that they didn't want to do it, but it was more like if you make us feel scared and not safe, you know, even in our own homes because they were coming at night they were arresting everyone killing people that was a message that these people wanted to send if you make us feel unsafe you're not going to be safe either and that was it like no one was trying to kill anyone except the military again and then a few days later one of them was arrested one of the guys from there they took his phone and they actually killed him in custody this body was fucked up but they probably poured acid in, in inside the dog or something like that. When they got the body back, it was, it was fucked up. But from his phone, they got about 40 people. 
they didn't arrest them, but they got the name of 40 people from that part of town. And from that 40 people, it was us. And there were other allies that we worked together in that part of the neighborhood where we live. And I think about 17 of them were arrested. And then that same night, and then as they were on the run, they were calling us and they were saying, you guys have to move, like you're the only one left there now. And I didn't believe it because, uh, I don't know, for, for us, like we just moved there, but for most of them, they lived there, that's their home. And the idea is that they just left everything overnight. It, it was crazy. So I keep calling like, you know, different people and we don't, I don't really have names. They're all like streets name, you know, so I would call that street and then they would say, oh no, they're gone. Or like they would say, oh, I'm on the run right now. So then we realized we're the only one left in that part of town from the front line. You know, all these people from the front line, they're gone, either arrested or left right away. And we didn't have a way out. We, we couldn't find any bus or we couldn't. Like at that time, if you travel from one place to another, people know you. People know that you're traveling. And like the good people would think that you're from the military side. But then for the military, they would know instantly that you're one of the protesters who are trying to move around the city. So it wasn't good anyway. Like we couldn't go anywhere and we couldn't get the bus tickets or anything like that. So. We actually got a lot of food and lock ourselves in. Like we close everything, we close the door from outside, and we just stay inside for three days with all that. And then the third day, we got the bus tickets, and that's when we left. Yeah, we were actually searched eight times on the bus. Wow, the uh, bus is six hours. Yeah, we stopped eight times. And you, and you had all of your things have, hidden, like your no, phone? no. We we left everything except uh, my gas mask because I wanted to bring it back. Probably a stupid idea, but yeah, we were lucky. Yeah, they didn't search the boxes inside. But for me, yeah, I wanted to take it back. But all the other stuff we left, we deleted everything from our phones. I put all the clips in my drive, like every photo, every video I took. So the computer was empty, the phone was empty, and it was just too dry. Just, you know, safe, like mixed with the clothes. And all of us, we couldn't sit near each other. So I had different seats for everyone. And then our backstory really was we were food panda delivery guys. And then the situation in Yangon is very bad. So we have to go back to our hometown. And yeah, that's that's what we told them all the time and we got away with it. And so in terms of, I don't, obviously don't want to say too much because we don't want to put you in any on one, well, you're in danger, but any extra danger. But you obviously you left Yangon and we won't say where, where you are. We don't know. So if they if someone yeah. tries to interrogate us, we can't tell them anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there are a lot of people who have joined the resistance and are taking yeah, training. Yeah, yeah. Have yeah, you seen yeah. that? Yeah, I think with the, the boys in Myanmar, that's what I want to do. I want to try to represent what our youth is going through. I want them to realize that there's so many other people like us and doing so many different things, but doing fighting for the same thing, you know? But yeah, so many, so many people, so many of my friends are in the ethnic areas, yeah, doing trainings. The situation there is not that safe either, you know? The military can come anytime with the planes and then they can just drop bombs and that's it, we're all dead. And when you're moving around now, do you have protection? Like, do people trust you or you're just hoping for the best? We don't move around anymore, actually. Uh I haven't been outside in the past three months. It's sometimes when we go to like a shop, it's shocking for me because like, I usually we go out a lot, but you know, now like it's been three months. 
since we left Yangon and yeah, I just stay inside and they were kind of convinced me to go out, but I, I get too scared. Like I get too, I just don't want to risk it. But yeah, every time we go out and we see like many people or like whenever we like get on the highway, it's, it's shocking. Like, cause I hadn't seen, you know, this many people in a long time. So we're in one space and yeah, we don't move at all. So what is the plan for the documentary? How How is it going to end? I mean... It's going to end with where we are. Yeah, and then we move again. That will be, I think, chapter two, uh, if we can make it, I think. Yeah. So this wasn't planned either, this whole documentary, until like when we had to move. And I said, if we can't keep protesting or, you know, fight the military, we have to be doing something. And then... We say, okay, we'll do the documentary. And during that time, I want my brothers to kind of rest. And, you know, I mean, only three of them are with me. The other two couldn't make it. The friend is still in Myanmar and still in uh, where he was. And then the the older cousin, who's just younger than me, he's also still where he is. And they couldn't come to where we are. So it just follows us now. So you've been separated on the journey at different points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but hopefully we'll yeah Get we'll back again. meet again soon because I'm really worried for them um, because you know we're showing all our face mm-hmm. in the documentary and the photos. I I don't really regret it, but also it's yeah it's risky because I wanted to make a stand, you know, like like we're not scared of you guys. We're we're actually very scared. <laughs> but that's normal. Yeah. But I know what you mean. There's there's a risk in putting your face, but there's also it captures people more when they can see yeah. you and. There, yeah. there's, there's, the risk is there either way, I guess. But yeah, as you say, yeah. your, your face is out there and, you know, they could recognize you more easily. Yeah. The page actually started because of that too. I was thinking, you know, if one of us die or like two or three, like, I mean, we wanted to send a message out. That's why it's like, hey, we're here, we're doing this. And then we weren't hoping for that day, but it, it was always in our minds, you know, like, oh, today, like, he got shot and, you know, we can't do it. You know, that was because most of the stories were like, just like that. Uh, but people forget it because there's too many of them. And then it's ne- it never follow, follows up on, you know, people. Whereas for us, it's like, okay, today we did this, we did this. Tomorrow we're doing this, we're doing that. And then, oh, now they're all dead. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was something to like kind of follow up and to make it more memorable, I guess. You know, so people know. Yeah. And do you, yeah. do you have that constant fear that the military are yeah. going to come, that somebody else is going to come, like that you could yeah. step on a landmine, you could get COVID, you could get malaria. I mean, there's so many things that could happen. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's always, it's always there. I never thought, but you know, I don't know. These, everything that happened, it just, it's, it's a lot. It's too much, I think. And we can't. Like, I don't know what I should be feeling or what I should be doing, you know? I think most of the time, we're constantly on that, you know, survivor instinct. And, and like, it's always, it's very tiring, actually, because every time you're constantly, like, kind of paranoid, you're you're living on the edge all the time. Even though if you're not, you're you're in your head, you are, you know? Okay, even, even if we do the whole documentary and nothing could happen, you know? Like, I mean, the military could just say... We don't care about these guys, but because so many people are dying doing the same thing that we do, you know, we feel like 
it's coming to us at some point. And that's why I want to, yeah, finish the documentary first and then go out again. But yeah. And, and is the goal of the documentary for people to know what's happening, like just to elevate what's happening? Because as you say, like we hear these stories, someone's dead, another country is at war and people just kind of skim past exactly. it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's like that. I mean, I actually don't want to do it anymore. Like I think I decided to do it about like three months in the, you know, the revolution. And then there was a time when everyone's saying we need international attention, we need we need this, we need that, and that's what I was going for. But now I don't really care about it anymore. I feel like that's not going to help either, but I I made everyone so excited for it, you know? And I think, like, people say that, you know, it's it's a part of history, It's and people should see it, so that's why, that's why I keep making it. Like, one of the things that you said in, in the documentary, the bits we've seen, is that when you realize with a military takeover that you would probably never be able to take a photograph it would not be a, a thing you could do in Myanmar anymore yeah. that, that was something that really I guess inspired you to fight back you didn't want yeah. the thought of the thing you love most in the world being taken from you yeah and but the thing is it's crazy because I haven't actually take photos like what I used to do for like six months already you know seven months and I don't I don't feel like doing it I don't I don't feel like picking up the camera and, you know, all these times that I was doing, I was doing because I had to, you know, but yeah, more and more, I think, you know, your mind, it just kind of, it's kind of depressing. Like, you know, like every, everything is just kind of falling apart and like, yeah, everyone around you too. But I don't know. I feel like I'm not fighting for myself anymore. You know, I'm done. Like, like I'm way too tired for this and I just want to give up. And I think I did for a while. Like that's why the documentary's taken so long because it's painful. Like all these clips that I have to go through frame by frame, like military killing people, military doing this to people. And not just that, but looking at ourselves in these situations and you know, you keep saying like, how the fuck do we make it out? Like, and so many other didn't. So, you know, the guilt is always there. And I think. If I had a choice to say, like, I can leave everything behind and I can just go away and, you know, all of these would just stop, I would do that. But, you know, I can't because if, like, people contact me all the time saying, you know, we can take you to England, we can take you to Ireland, but like, okay, I go, but then, you know, people are still going to be dying, like, you know, and so I can never get away from that. So I guess the only thing we can do now is just keep fighting. And yeah, I think. Now I'm more like fighting for the people who like died already, you know, because they can't do that anymore. And I can do it for them, even though I don't want to do it for myself. And do you yeah. think like when, when you mention that you guys like haven't resorted to picking up arms yet? Well, you picked them up, but you've not used them. But are you prepared to do that if it comes to it? Are you prepared to? Yeah, totally. I think we're losing hope because, you know, NEG, CRPH, they're not doing good. They're the same as NLD. And they're still very racist. They're still very... They can't control the country. I think most people are fighting because they're angry and they don't like the military. Whereas we were fighting for something better, you know? Like, Myanmar before was very bad. Like, you know, the genocide, the way they treat ethnic groups, it was very bad. Like, it was only okay for people who were in Yangon or Manly or you know the, all these big cities but everywhere else people were being killed and no one listened to that 
But when this happened, that's when I thought, you know, people change and people were going to become better, you know, people and take care of each other. But I think that was only for a little amount of time. I think people are now back to being racist and all this stuff. So it's quite sad to see. And yeah, we don't think that any GCRPH can control even if we defeated the military. So fighting the military is one thing. Okay, if we win, what happened? Because what's going to happen next? Because we don't have a government that can keep all these things together, all these ethnic armies, all, the, all these people, you know? So what's going to happen is when the big enemy is gone, the main enemy is gone, people are going to start fighting with each other. You know, everyone's going to want their own territory. And that's what they're going to do. And yeah, military gone, but everywhere. It's going to be fighting everywhere. And it's just going to be fucked up. And we can see that. We can see that coming. Because there's, there's no one that can help us or, you know, like lead everyone and have the same idea of things. So, Like a lot of people we've spoken to believe the NUG is, is the best solution um, and, and they believe that the NUG represent change. And The main thing is, though, the Rohingya crisis. Mm-hmm. Like, they still haven't apologized for that. They still haven't acknowledged that. Mm-hmm. How can we trust them? that they're not going to be the same as the military. Like, they say they won't be, but, you know, they could very be the same. Well, that's one thing. A lot of people we've spoken to, you know, have pointed out the failures of the civilian government over the last few years, and, like, a lot of things like the Rohingya genocide happened on their watch, and they denied it. They, you know, made apologies for the military. So there's definitely problems. A lot of the, the ministers in NUG now are young, which I think is promising because the NLD are yeah. old and, you know, we, we need youth and younger people. But I, I agree that there, there's a lack of understanding amongst the ethnic groups, uh, what they've been through. I mean, we're, we're just learning a, a lot now doing this podcast yeah. so much from yeah. talking to people, things we didn't even know. Back in 88, you know, the same thing happened. All these people went from the cities. They, they went, the students left. They went to the ethnic groups. They, they taught them how to use weapons when they wanted to. They, they trained them. And then when they got offered the deal, they all went back to the city and left the ethnic people behind. So. Yeah. And not just that, they were killing each other too. I mean, really terribly. Like during that time, a lot of the students that went to the ethnic groups, they became I think they didn't know, I mean, I can't understand why they were acting that way, you know, like, they were probably so scared, but also their minds were really, um, they saw a lot of, you know, fucked up things, and I think they became one of those people, because we read stories about, you know, like, students, each other, like, torturing them, killing them, like, you know, putting the mines on their hands and make them run around and watch it explode, and like, you know, cutting each other's heads, and all these Crazy, crazy things that they, they did to each other. And the crazy thing is we learned it. Like we learn it when the coup happened and we say, you know, we are not going to be like the 88. We're, none of us are going to do any of these things. And we actually held it for a long time. I mean, it's been six months and there hasn't been, you know, crimes against people. It's just been military against people or people to the military. But yeah. But we are starting to hear more reports of informants or people who are believed to be like those horrific things like beheading and that, which again is not what, I mean, in some ways I can not, I can understand it, but I can certainly see how that might happen, you know, how, how people yeah, might yeah. like absolutely lose it when their, their lives are being destroyed. But at the same time, like you can't meet that with the same level of 
you know, evil because that, that it takes yeah. an, it's another level of evil, isn't it? Or like to to behead somebody, it's like it's next level stuff. Like it's wanting to shoot I, someone to save your life, but I think yeah, that's that's what I try to tell my brothers too, is because they're very angry, and um, you know, there was a videos that was coming out from Chin State when the Chin PDF was attacking the police station and. I mean, terrible things like they were beating up these soldiers and really terrible. Like they were doing all these things and there was two guys who were tied up. And then right before they shoot them, they were like making fun of it and they were joking about it. And that's when I lost faith in the, I mean, it, it, it's always been fear. Cause I feel like every time when someone gets weapon, power, money, it corrupts them. Doesn't matter how good you were before you know if you if you have all these things you became someone else and that's what i was worried about these pdf people too you know i mean how can you prove that these people were military informer before you just killed them like that like but same with these uh police i was really feeling that they like if they just you know make them dig their own grave and shoot them in the head and put them in the grave like you know, these are videos we're going to be looking at one day and say, look at what they did. Like, that was great. That was, you know, that was something that you would honor. But what they did was so terrible. How they killed these people was so terrible. Yeah, I get that. You guys were angry. I get that. You know, like, these are soldiers and police, but you don't have to use, you don't have to be like that. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to use these unnecessary methods to kill people when you have the upper hand, you know? And I wouldn't do it. You know, I'm saying I wouldn't do it, but I haven't really lost anyone that close to me. You are six months in and, and people say this is kind of the hardest time for people like you, you know, who are there because the energy at the beginning starts to wane. People start to disappear. Either they're detained, they're killed or they're lying low and information is not coming out like it used to. So you kind of start to see what is the point. But giving up isn't really an option because what's your alternative exactly like what have yeah. you got instead what, what, what else you know mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i think we're gonna end up if we don't win this soon we're either gonna be arrested which is you know not bad like just being arrested hopefully not being tortured but you know all the things that you have in your mind everything that you read everything that you see online it sucks with your head so you're thinking okay they arrest me what are they going to do of course they're going to torture me you know all these things you imagine even though it's not happening yet i think there will have to be a time where we have to split and i have to send the boys back home but the thing is though i'm knowing that they're not going to stop they're still going to be fighting like me so that's the thing, you know, it's difficult because do we all stick together and, you know, either get killed or get arrested at the same time, all of us, or do it separately and face that separately? I don't know. So we'll have to see. I, yeah. I imagine going back is not necessarily a safe option either, is it? Yeah, yeah, no. Not without its uh, risks. It's very, yeah, it's very dangerous. Like, how did you see your future before this happened? Very slow, actually. Like, I was going to save up money to buy a better camera because <laughs> I don't have a camera. And then, because I was thinking, you know, because I want to be a director, like a film director. Yeah, I was thinking I, I wanted to go to another level, like do better stuff, better quality, because my camera is really bad. So I wanted to save money for that and, I don't know, start filming stuff. But, yeah. And you, you mentioned a girlfriend earlier. Have you had to, to separate from her in this period of time? 
Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult. Like our plan was to try to go to Canada with her. And then she was saying, you know, you can work in a factory or something like that when you get there first and then you can make some money. And I was thinking, you know, that that's pretty good because, you know, even if I don't make money up, a lot of money there, I can still send it to Myanmar and with that currency it'll be a lot. So my family will be you know, I could help them out a lot better. But with this, like I can't go anywhere. But now even even people like people are offering out, but that's it. I, I don't wanna leave anymore. I don't wanna Do do you yeah. see that the documentary is like that if you don't make it out, that you and your brothers will, will be eternalized in that documentary, that you'll be leaving your some part of yourselves here, that you won't be just some forgotten people. Yeah, that's why I wanted to make it to you. And I want to make it good. That's why it takes a long time too, because some reason I keep thinking, you know, this is going to be the last thing I make and uh, I want to make it good, you know? <sighs> yeah. So it takes, it takes a long time. Like even with little, little bit of audio, like I'm adjusting it for hours and like, it's really difficult too, because this isn't my level. I used to do like one minute little videos of me and my girlfriend on a road trip. Yeah, so very, very different. And especially like these two hours long documentary with all these topics that you have to explain, like ethnic problems, you know, civil war, like all these democracy, uncensity and all these stuff. Like it's, it's crazy. But yeah. And do you feel that like people have not been taught that correctly? Like people just don't know. And, and like, is that oh, what no, you yeah. like? Yeah, no, we've been brainwashed. Like, I mean, I'm just recently relearning a lot of stuff. I mean, I was only 16 when the Rohingya thing happened, but I feel so guilty because, you know, we feel like we didn't do anything, we didn't speak out, we didn't. I think some people say that, you know, the information was always there and you just had to look it up. But I think for some people, there were no time to look up, like everyone just trying to survive. And I came from that area, so I knew, I, I'm not mad at people from Myanmar, like I know what they went through. It's not that they don't want to care about other people, you know, it's that they, they're really struggling most of the time. So yeah, they didn't have time to do it. Whereas now we, we see, you know, everyone dropping everything they have just to, just to, you know, fight for this. Like that's what most people did that when it happened, you know, everyone dropped what they were doing and joined the revolution. Like one of the things, because I know you mentioned about the NUG and, and you don't have a lot of faith in them. And, and I, I completely understand that. And we've talked to a lot of people who are very supportive and people who are not 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 at all supportive. So I, I've heard enough to understand both sides. But one thing I think gives me a lot of hope is people like you who have so much empathy and understanding. And I think we've met a lot of people with your attitude, you know, which is a really good one that care about people that realize the wrongs of the past. So for me, there's hope in that because there's a generation coming through that care, you know, uh, yeah. that won't be brainwashed anymore and that won't allow things to happen to anybody. And yeah. I, I do believe in this generation. It's whether this generation can get out of this alive is the question. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I think there's only a few of us. From what I see, like social media and just talking with people, I think, yeah, most people are not that interested in it anymore. Especially, like, I have a lot of friends in like Thailand uh, who are from Myanmar. Most of them don't care at all. Like, because I get it. Like, I mean, being there and then being back and going back, the situation is very different, even though it's just one river away. But one side is hell and one side is everything's normal. No one's 
Yeah. For the people in Myanmar, it's every second of it that you're inside, you're facing all these things where people from the other side, you know, the only time that they pick up their phone, go on social media, they see these stuff. Very different, right? I'm worried that like, you know, people who are actually doing this stuff are going to just be going one by one by the military, you know, that'll be nice. Like the one thing I guess that we've been discussing a bit as well is at what point do people give up? Like, I mean, because yeah. we we can see some people have already been forced back with the civil disobedience movement to work because of starvation, because of threats to their lives, whatever reason, like we understand not everyone can withstand that, but so many are still holding out. We've seen the refusal to pay electricity is having a huge impact on military finances. The sanctions are working. We saw the lobbying group that have been supporting them having to drop them as clients because they yeah. can't get paid. So there is hope. It's just, it's just not all coming out at once. You know, like you have to search for that hope, but there is signs yeah. that they are in trouble, the military. I mean, yeah. We have obviously the WA and the AA have, have yet to, to do anything. They, they're holding on to their ceasefires, but they are big armies. And if they decide to end their ceasefires, that would have a, a huge impact on the military. COVID is hitting now and COVID does not discriminate against a, a soldier and a, and a civilian. I mean, it gets everyone rich, poor. I mean, yeah. And I imagine that the, the lower down the soldiers are in rank, the less medical attention they're going to get as well. Yeah. And their families are suffering too. So you just don't know how long they're going to keep following those orders as well. And at what point they, they think enough is enough. Yeah, I think COVID is hitting the people worse, actually. We're seeing about a thousand deaths a day here in Yangon too. And... I mean, just imagine country, you know, the whole country, all these people, man, dying because of not just COVID, you know, it's, I think most of them would survive if they have enough health care. Someone very close to me just died too. That's why I had to cancel on the 15th. Yeah, the, the military has taken every oxygen that, you know, like people who are selling oxygen, they come to take these oxygens and they're taking it back to the military, so... They can use it and they're just leaving people with nothing. The hospitals wouldn't accept anyone. Um, I think right now the situation is if you are going to die, you die. That's it. You know, if you have this and you, your body can't fight it for you, then you die because there's no extra help. There's nothing, you know. And we saw those attacks on healthcare workers and we saw the arrests and everything. Like, obviously, all of that is having an impact now because there is so yeah. few doctors anyway and nurses. Yeah. And we're relying on voluntary clinics and people helping each other. Like, that's the one thing I would say for Myanmar people is they're incredibly generous when they have nothing. They will give their last whatever they have to yeah. anybody in need. They're, they're incredibly generous, the majority. And that's been my own personal experience there as well. But just thinking about those early stages of the protest when we saw those ambulance drivers, you know, being attacked yeah. by the military, yeah. when we saw, you know, doctors being arrested, anyone in a white coat being detained and, yeah. and, and put in prison. And now we've got this situation where there's there's no medical care workers. I mean... It's, it's but tragic. I think the military wanted that. The military wanted this to happen. They're using this as a bioweapon, you know, killing people the other way with the bullets. But they're they're very scary and they're very good at what they do, uh, being evil, you know. 
people in their statement like people don't think people joke about it you know and they think it's for real like the military is dumb and the military don't know anything but they're they're powerful and do you think that they've underestimated the power of of young people social media they definitely did yeah Mm -hmm. yeah they definitely did which was the i think that's why we're so going like that too because they never expected this from us and I get it though, I get why, because I mean, all these things that they've been doing work so well, like the education system, the, you know, just how everything works in Myanmar and it works. Most of the people just kind of do nothing, most of the youth, and they don't have much knowledge. They don't know much and, you know, it's very easy to brainwash, but I think that's what they expected from most of us, whereas, yeah, now it, it's not like that. I mean, still, most of them are like that, but yeah, I think there are a lot more smart, smart people than they expected. And yeah, that's why they're, they still haven't taken over in six months. Yeah. But that, there has to be hope in that as well. It has been six months yeah, and they don't have yeah. full control. And that's a long yeah. time for a military not to yeah. control the country. Yeah. Cause I think in the 88, it was six months and done, right? Like about 3,000 people were killed and yeah. And they had Whereas, to... yeah, it's been six months and they haven't had anything, nothing. But I'm scared of the civil wars later, you know, because I think I know I know that everyone hates the military and everyone's going to do their best to, you know, take them down. But what's after that? You know, mm-hmm. that's what I'm scared of. All these pain, all these things in your head. You, I said, you know, I'm going to deal with it when it's all over. But now it's looking like it's not going to over for, you know, um, for a long time, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There was a thing that came up, like I think yesterday, something alliance. They were saying that they're connected with everyone on the ground, and that they're connected with CRPH and everything. Um, so what I'm looking for is now a third party, actually, yeah. Like a third one that, no, you know, not military, not NUG, but another one. An alternative. Yeah, another one who could be better than, you know, both of them. Yes. And I think like for a lot of people with NUG is because they are the democratically elected government. So it, it is yeah. the sense that that's who the people have chosen. But obviously most of them are dead or arrested or, you know, yeah. gone yeah. now anyway. Um, and, but I do, I do know what you're saying about an alternative, but I guess somebody I spoke to earlier said, you know, you know, I'm putting my hope in NUG, but at least I can vote them out if they let me down. You know, I can't do that exactly, with the military. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I can't vote yeah. them out. They, they just have taken control. So there's a sense of that. But I do agree that there, there needs to be, I guess, more from the NUG and like to, to convince others. But like America have frozen one billion US assets when the military took over they did that immediately and if the NU were to get recognition they would have access to that money they would be able to borrow money from other countries so there's there's benefits to there being a government now an alternative government and they are kind of ready to go whereas to try and get a third one to set up now I don't know how easy that would be be, you know it's not that they're the answer but um, they're the perfect answer but maybe they are the only one right now but whether that's long term or temporary I don't know like I mean I, I agree with you that civil war looks likely that if we don't like if you look in Yangon this week and so many people we know are sick and they're looking for oxygen and their families are sick and people are rising the price of oxygen. That's not just the military. Like, know, that's that's I like know, that's yeah, business people. 
And if those people don't change their ways, and if we can't change that kind of way of thinking, then I don't know what kind of a society you'll end up with anyway. You know, if when people are dying, you rise the price of oxygen. It's quite shocking, really, you know. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though. Not, not all of us are good, I guess. That's what I didn't understand about Rohingya. Or I always think, you know, my people, they wouldn't do that. But the thing is, so I was one of them, you know, because they don't treat me like they treat, you know, these people. But I never understood why these people would treat, you know, other people like that. For me, I wasn't looking like, I wasn't thinking, oh, Muslim, Burmese. I was thinking, you know, these people and these people, like, why, why would they kill these people for no reason, you know? And that's why I couldn't believe that. But now, yeah, we know some people are just evil. They don't need a good reason, like... Yeah, uh, it's I, evil. Yeah. I think in the past it has been the case that they have been systematically targeting ethnic groups, but now they're, they're killing the Bamar Buddhist majority now, you know? It's yeah. like they've hit every group at this point. But yeah. also I would admit to being naive to the Rohingya crisis too, you know? It was out of sight, out of mind, you know. I didn't educate myself and, and look into it. And now, only now, because this has happened, you know, sometimes it takes something to move us, you know. And yeah, when yeah. it happened in front of me and I'm there, it moved me. Whereas something happening far away, I could put that away and go, oh, you know, that's sad. But I don't know much about it and kind of move on with yeah. my life, which we do when we see things happening in Libya or we see things happening in Palestine. Yeah, in the Middle East, yeah. We just, yeah. we park it, you know, because we can't take all that on. It's it's yeah. too much. But I think now, looking back, we're seeing that, you know, them being allowed to get away with that is what's led to this. And and, and if you yes, don't yeah, tackle yeah. it. And I, you know, when I actually figure out all these things, I said, you know, the coup was a good thing because I would know all these things. But with all these information, what do we do? Do we, you know, do we keep it like how it was before? Or do we try to change it? Of course, I want to change it because... I didn't know all these things before, but, you know, I accepted it now that, you know, we were wrong. So now we, we changed. And UG was a big part of this that made me fight for them. You know, like, they were when they came out, it was like a big thing. Like, everyone was so happy, and I was one of them. Like, I had so much hope for them, you know? And then one day, one day, one day, like, they just keep going. I mean, most of them now write poems, and they, they post on online with their Blue Marks account. You're like, that's not what you should be doing, man. Like, you know, I get that they want to keep people, you know, following them and talk with them and stuff, but... But there's uh, a humanitarian crisis, like, they need to act, they, you know? Yeah, yeah. We need aid to yeah. get into the country and we need to channel it through the ethnic armed groups or wherever we need to get it through so that people can get assistance yeah. without the military confiscating it and stealing it all. Yeah. So, yeah, a, then, po- a poem is great, but not the right time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Their whole cabinet is very much NLD and, you know, it's very obvious that they're not allowing the people to do what they want to do in their own cabinets where, you know, Dr. Sasa tried to hire someone for him and then they just said no. And, you know, so it kind of makes me feel like these people, these people that they are hiring don't really have any power and just the NLD who really has the power in there too, you know, so it's kind of scary, but yeah. I mean, Dr. Sasa seems like a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, But the thing is, we have a lot of nice guys and, you know, nice people, but no one not to take down the military or anything like that. So, 
Like they're all still kind of respecting of the positions, like of who has the positions, whereas maybe it's time to be like, I don't care who has what position, this is what we need to do and kind of less yeah. respect and more like proactive. This is what we need yeah. to do. What they've been doing um, this whole time, it feels like they don't care about individuals. They think as a government, you know, like we have 50 million, 60 million people. If we have to lose 1 million, 2 million, that's not much for the country. They probably think like that. And I feel like they're acting like that because they know constantly that people are dying. It's scary because, you know, maybe they just, they want to sound professional. They don't want to share their feelings somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's no empathy. There's no nothing. They're just releasing their Zoom screenshots and stuff. So it's scary. Yeah. I guess yeah. We, we have to hope that they're doing things that they need to behind the scenes. But I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. No, a part of me, yeah, still hope that, you know, oh, maybe they're just not showing us anything because they're trying to be secret, you know, they're trying to make it secret. And at some point, they're going to show it all. But then it's been six months, you know, mm-hmm. there's no there's no secret plans that we know of so far. And we probably lost about you know, 10,000 people with COVID. So and what about you guys now? What's your life going to be for the next while? Or are, are you going to stay where you are for the moment? Is it safe for, for yeah. the time being? So, yeah, that's it. For the time being, we're safe because people don't actually know where we are. We're off the radar and the boys are doing well. They don't do much. <laughs> they Maybe we'll send some they, books or some educational resources and you can make them, you can make them do some school. <laughs> I tried. I tried. I really tried. But... I think they're quite, they don't know how to deal with it in a good way. So they wake up, they would eat, they would play games um, on their phones and uh, they would go back to sleep, uh, drink a lot of alcohol. Same with me, like we would be drunk like pretty much most of the day. And then it became normal. It became default. You know, we don't go out. We can't go out. So yeah, drink, wake up, sleep. They will play with their phones. I would edit. Um, Sometimes when it's too much, I would take a break and play with them. And it's been three months just like that. And, you know, every time, every time I try to say, you know, what about your future? What do you want to do? <laughs> they have that answer. They say, you know, we don't, we don't know if we're going to live. We don't know if we're going to live that long. So why, why, you know, work for the future? Why, why do anything, you know? Because the plan is that they want to go back in. They want to fight, especially like the D day that everyone's saying, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. Or at least anytime soon, but for them, it's like when the day call, when, when, when that day comes, everyone go back in and fight for it. And if you live, then you live, you know, and then you focus for your future, but you might die. So yeah, they, they don't, they don't want to do anything now. But even for me, you know, even myself, like I'm losing hope and I'm feeling the same way that they're feeling. So yeah, for a while, like even with my girlfriend, I was telling her, like, just go back, like just forget it, you know? But I think we're we're kind of dealing with it in a better way now, where it's like, you know, we we might not have much longer, so we're trying to spend all this time together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um I think if we do this did this interview like two months ago, I would be more excited and um I don't know, more fun I guess. <laughs> but now like I think yeah, a, a lot of it is yeah, waking up every day just seeing all these stuff, you know, it you can only take it for so long, I think, yeah. But, you know, we're still fighting, so that's that's something, you know. People might kind of feel sad or, like, depressed listening to this because it's a lot of, we're talking about a lot of the past stuff that happened, you know, but 
there's also a lot of good stuff that's happening. You know, everyone, most people are willing to accept that they were wrong and, you know, like they want to make changes. The whole thing is that we, all of us were kind of brainwashed, you know, by the military and all these years of their education. But finally, most of them are knowing that these are all, these are not true. And, you know, even with my brothers, they used to hate um, gay people or like, even with just Muslim people, like they would feel kind of unsafe with them. Whereas I remember when we're in Yangon, they were saying, you know, yeah, that was all brainwashed. Like we have no reason to hate them or be against them. Like there's no reason. And that's, you know, one of the good things. And yeah, but there's so much more like with ethnic groups. Most people now kind of don't care about it anymore, but there's still a lot more people who does care about this and who are, you know, just like us, we won't, we won't take what Myanmar was before. Like if the military say, oh, we'll, we'll leave and then you can have what it was before. Like, no, we want something better. We want everyone to be equal. If not, then we don't, we don't stop fighting. We're trying to, yeah, take it all down, build it back up. Yeah. I think it's normal six months in for you to be at this level. Yeah. I don't expect you to yeah. be on your high because reality yeah. sinks in and things quieten down. It's just, I, I fear that the day everyone gives up is the day the military have control. So it's just trying to, it's trying to motivate people yeah. to stay going and to, to like what you're saying is like, we're looking for a bigger, better future. That's what we're fighting for. And it's just to keep sight of that for everybody, like that something bigger and yeah. better is, is, is ahead. We just have to get through these hurdles to get there, but it's easier yeah. said than done. And, and you know, it's, it's a good fight. Imagine being on the other side. I mean, that would suck. But, you know, we're on this side and we're fighting for this. Like, I mean, even if you die, you die a hero, you know? Like, I mean, that's not what I want, but, you know, still, if you die, like, you die. Yeah, no, and the thing is, we have to fight for all these people who can't fight anymore, you know? So if you, even if you want to give up, you know, you've got to keep going until you become one of those people and, you know, other people who live, they'll fight for you. And that's what I think, too. I think we're to invest in this, to walk away from this. So I think most of us are too. So yeah, just don't lose hope. Like you can lose it, but you know, keep, still keep fighting. Cause I know like there's some times where I sleep for like two days, just don't want to wake up and see, you know, check my phone. We do it until the end. Like, yeah, keep going though. You guys too, cause whatever you do, like you're so part of it, you know? And yeah. Don't feel like it's not enough, but you know, like, uh, yeah, well, yeah. that's kind of what we felt. Yeah. You just don't want to go home and just get on with your life. You're kind of like, I just got to yeah. go back to my life and, you know, have a glass of wine and move on. And you just, you can't yeah. like it's. Some I, people do though. Some people do. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many of my friends who are doing the same thing like that. Now. But you can't be mad at them though. Cause, um, I mean, you know, what do you say? Uh, these things were happening in somewhere else, you know, of course, like, we weren't that interested. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I respect you guys for taking your time and doing all these things, even though you're not from here. But the thing is, though, like, if you feel the pain that we're feeling, like, then you're part of it, you know, because it's it's not easy. It's not easy to deal with it. It's, and if you are dealing with it and you keep doing all these things, then, yeah, you're part of it. I think it might be good in a while to catch back up with you and see where you're at. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, I think that would be, I think there's a few people we've talked to that we were kind of like, it would be really good to talk to you again. It's, you know, to see yeah. where along your journey you are. Yeah. 
I, I feel like we haven't motivated you enough to do your documentary. We should have like had a motivational, like, get you going. But I mean, yeah. that, you got to remember that that's your goal now to, to complete that. And yeah. it, it has a higher yeah. purpose, you know, and, and just try to motivate yourself to do it. Less alcohol is not good. Make bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, thank it's, you. It's yeah. a depressant uh, as well, you know, alcohol. Yeah. It's, it's good in the moment, yeah. but the next day is twice as hard, you know. And yeah. So, consider yeah. that too and be careful be careful yeah. out there because we don't know what what's around you and what's coming your way at any moment and covid i mean you're wearing your mask yeah. which is great <laughs> let me see you're taking precautions <laughs> yeah uh, and we don't go out so that's good yeah and you the can documentary can. is gonna keep coming because you know that guy that died um he's really close with me and uh he always wanted to see that. He was always, even though he doesn't speak English, he was always like kind of proud. And, like, he was like a dad, yeah. Um, so people say, you know, people want to see it. And, and he's a part of it. I mean, he's in the second episode. A big part of it, actually. And uh, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, we fight for those people who can't fight anymore. Exactly. Okay. Because what did they all die for if everyone just gets yeah. on with their life? Yeah, there is a sense yeah. of that. He wanted to win so bad. He was really old, but then he was doing push-ups and like exercise and, you know, waiting for the D-Day because I told him. <laughs> but it was something that, yeah, I told people because I, I, I can tell they're losing hope, but I just try to give them something to kind of look forward to in the future, even though I know that it's very unlikely it's going to happen. But, you know, I keep telling them the same stuff. Like people look here too, you know, they... When they see me, they would come up and, cause in my friend group, I'm the one who's doing a lot of politics, like stuff. And mm. so they want to ask me questions and especially like, you know, grandma, grandpa, cause they don't really talk to their children either and, or they don't understand or, you know, they don't want to talk about it. So whenever I go, they would say, what's the name? Like, are we winning? Are we losing? And they would cry. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So I would just give them this. I hope that. You can get it done. I hope yeah. you guys stay strong, stay alive. We will, yeah. I mean, we made it out. I, I think this episode, I've got a lot from it. Like, it's sad, but it's, I don't know, it is somewhat inspiring at the same time. <laughs> if that can be yeah. true, because your story is sad, but, you know, you, you seem like such a good guy. And I know we can't see your smile with the mask, but we know you have a lovely smile because we've seen you on Instagram. <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just a very warm, lovely guy, you know. And it's, it's just so sad that this is, this is where you are, but it, it's so inspiring that you're not just going to sit back and, and accept yeah. things either, you know. There's so many of you, we just want to fly out of there and just like get you out of there, but like, we just can't take the whole country, yeah. you know. And then. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so sad because it, it, without you guys, then, then. How does it end and how do how do people win? But how many of you will die on the way? It's just it's just so sad, you know. It's Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think we pretty much um, are on like a different level with this. Um instead of you know, with my daughters, instead of uh talking about like um what's happening now, we talk about like what's been happening throughout, you know, these the whole world and the history of it, like how people came to be who they are and what they are. And, you know, that this is just history repeating itself. And we're just people that got stuck in it, you know, like here, like, I don't know. I feel like everywhere they went through something like this, you know, and some places get better, like, you know, after civil war, like 
or like Japan after the nuke, you know, they, they got better. But then some other place, they don't, like the Middle East, they were always going to be fighting, always going to be dead. But, but in that, people are going to still be like giving birth to children and these children are going to, you know, all these things, I don't know. But I think um, we talk about time and that, uh, you know, it at the end, it doesn't really matter, like uh, all of it, you know. So might as well try to be good, you know, while you were while you were here. Um, yeah. And yeah, fight for the good time. Yeah. But I think um, I had a purpose in my life, like before, like I want to be a director and stuff and stuff, but I've never had something this strong in my heart. You know, I've never wanted to win so bad or like make my country such you know a better place. Every time, you know, we heard people say these words before, it's just cringy, like, you know, like hero, like uh, better country, whatever, whatever these things. Like I never like I still don't know politics. I, I know very little, like very, very little politics, but every day we're learning um, yeah, more and more stuff and I don't know, try yeah, trying to be better. So you uh, look after your brothers, lay off the anyway. alcohol, and uh, obviously we're following you and we'll be watching what you guys are doing. But uh, I hope yeah. you can find the motivation to keep at your documentary. That's your goal. And you're very talented. I mean, from what you've done so far, it's pretty impressive. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, keep yeah. at it. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time today. I've been thank very you. quiet, but it's been an absolute <laughs> honour to listen to you speak. Like, I'm just thank you. completely speechless like it's the first time i've listened to someone and just not wanting to <laughs> ask any questions i just wanted to listen to, to your story and what you have to say yeah. and i for one am very inspired by what you're doing and there were times mm-hmm. when you were speaking i was just like i just want things to get out can't we just cut them out and then like when you explain yeah. what you're doing and how important it is i'm like okay but you know you are yeah. a very inspirational individual so just stay strong and well done Thank you. Thank you for listening to Arnar Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at Arnar Podcast, spelled A-H-N-A-H. Please like, follow and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.